Well, happy Easter, everybody. He is risen. All right, you can go ahead and take a seat. And man, if you're a guest with us, I should tell you right out of the gate, don't let the suit throw you. Um, this is something I will literally do once a year to celebrate Jesus's resurrection. I've got a lot of comments already, so I just want to say that's what's happening here. Um, I, I do feel constricted in this. Like even trying to worship, I'm like, I, I'll, I'll do the kind of half hand thing. So please do not get used to this. But that's what's going on there. I'll, I'll throw on a suit once a year because this is a day where we celebrate that truly anything can happen. Is anybody excited to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus this morning? All right, if you got a Bible, why don't you grab it and turn to Mark chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, you've got some options. You'll see one in the pew in front of you. We'll have the scripture on the screen this morning. And, and I'll set the message up for you this way. Uh, a year ago, last Easter actually, um, we started our journey through Mark's gospel, which is one of four biographies that we have of Jesus's life in the Bible. And uh, last week, after an entire year, we came to this climactic moment in the story where uh, Jesus dies on the cross. And, and what we saw in that story is there was a Roman soldier, which for those of you who are new, um, this would have been one of the bad guys. Uh, the way we said it last week is picture someone from that political party you don't like, that guy. That guy sees the death of Jesus and what he proclaims, he sees something otherworldly, he sees something different, he sees something divine. And what he says is truly this man was the son of God. And for a lot of people, I think that's where the story ends. Truly, this man was the Son of God. Jesus was really great. He taught great things like loving your neighbor and caring for the poor and forgiving people instead of always blasting them when they fail you. We could use a lot more of that these days. It's too bad that he's not around. Jesus was. Truly, this man was the Son of God. I think, I think that's where a lot of us leave the story. But for Mark, that's not the final story. That's the climax of the story. But Mark doesn't end with Jesus was. Mark's going to press on to Jesus is. And so we've got one more story to look at in the Gospel of Mark. And I got to tell you, it's the best one. Are you ready? All right. Mark chapter 15 and um, 16, excuse me. I'm going to back up a few verses to the end of 15. And we'll pick it up where we left it off last week on the events of Good Friday and Jesus dying on the cross. We read this in verse 40. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, he took courage and he went to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether Jesus was already dead. And when he had learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. 
And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, he wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, they brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on in the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who's going to roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was a very large stone. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb, for fear and trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Uh, The big idea of this whole text and this whole message today, it's three words. Jesus is alive. Um, Mark says the story of Jesus does not end with Jesus was, it ends with Jesus is. And if that's true, that means that this is a story that is still being written, that is still going on. It is a story that can change your story this morning. And, And ever since the first Easter, there have been people that they hear that proclamation that Jesus is alive, and they say, come on. Uh, people don't come back from the dead? Like, no. Maybe, maybe you mean like, like a spiritual metaphor, like Jesus could be alive, or let's have some optimistic thinking, or maybe we should get all dressed up and have a bunny and have some chocolate eggs. Is that what you mean? And, and with the, I would argue the Bible's very in favor of chocolate eggs and all of those celebrations. Um, but what the Bible's going to insist is that underneath all of those celebrations is a historical, real reality that happened in this world, that Jesus really bodily walked out of the tomb. And, and look, I know how that sounds. 99.9999999% of the time, people don't come back from the dead. But Mark insists that Jesus did. And if that's true, then that's got to change everything. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at five reasons from the verses we just read. Five reasons to believe that Jesus is resurrected, that Jesus is alive. And then what we're going to do is we're going to talk about if that's true, what does that mean for our lives? Um, So five reasons, and really, frankly, it only takes one. So let's look at them. Number one, Jesus died on the cross. Uh, Mark tells us Jesus was declared dead by a professional Roman executioner. Uh, John, in his gospel account, he will add that this this centurion actually shoved a spear through Jesus' heart just to be sure, because in ancient Rome, if you let a guy off the cross and he wasn't really dead, you'd be the next one up on the cross. So this guy shoves the spear through his heart so that he knows when Pilate asks, he could say that he is dead. And the reason I point that out is because one of the ways that people will explain away the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is they'll say, ah, he didn't actually die on the cross. He just swooned. Basically, he, he passed out on the cross. And so, yeah, he walked out of the tomb three days later, and, you know, he did push a big stone away. Kudos to him, but it wasn't miraculous. It was just 
He got better from a bad injury. But you don't get better from not having a heart. Are, are, are you with me? Like, I cheated my way through high school biology, and even I know this. You don't, like, lose your heart and then pass out and then get better and come back. Like, that's not how the human body works. Um, if you're new here, we try to not take ourselves too seriously. We take God seriously. We try not to take ourselves too seriously. So that won't be the last comment. Welcome to church. Ease in with me here. It's okay to laugh. The, the point is Jesus really died on the cross. And anyone that has any knowledge of Roman history knows that this is true. Um, Listen to how one very non-Christian historian puts it. He writes this. The death of Jesus of Nazareth on the cross is an established fact, arguably the only established fact about him. Now, I'm going to argue with the back half of that quote in just a minute, but I share that with you to say, Christian or non-Christian, if you know anything about history, there is no debate. This is an established historical fact that Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. And this leads us to number two. It's not just any tomb. Number two, Jesus was buried in a well-known tomb. Um, Now, again, some of you are like, I came to church for this. I could have got that from the text. Okay, stick with me on this. The Romans knew where Jesus was buried. Mark says that Joseph of Arimathea, a well-known person in the community, he goes to Pilate and he says, can I have the body of Jesus? And after confirming Jesus is dead, Pilate gives him the corpse of Jesus. So so the Romans know who has the body. They know Joseph of Arimathea, big deal in the community. They know where his tomb is. They know where they put Jesus. And in fact, Luke adds in his gospel account, or it might be Matthew, you could check me on that. I believe it's Matthew adds in his gospel account that the Romans followed the body to the tomb and put an armed guard outside because there was this crazy rumor going around that Jesus had said, if you kill me, I'll rise again three days later. So, so they wanted to make sure that, you know, no funny business happened. And so there's a, a transfer of evidence. The Romans take Jesus' body to the tomb. They seal it up. They put an armed guard outside. Here's the point. Jesus is buried in a well-known tomb with a Roman guard outside. They knew right where he was. Now, let me ask you a question. When the disciples go around and start saying things like Jesus is alive and and proclaiming that he defeated death, like how easy do you think it would have been for Jesus' opponents to go down to the tomb and to say to the Roman soldiers, these dummies from Galilee, they're proclaiming that the guy in there, that he's alive, they're starting a whole religion out of it. It's crazy. Could, Could you just open the tomb so that we could produce the body and shut him up once and for all? How easy do you think that would have been? Would have been very easy if the body was there. But as the angel said, he's not here anymore. He is risen. And so even though Jesus was buried in a place where everybody knew what it was, no one could produce the body because he raised from the dead and the body wasn't there anymore. Number three, Jesus, are are you still with me here? I promise this is going somewhere. Number three, Jesus appeared. Some of you are like, you have actual sermon points today. Of course I'm with you. Okay. Number three, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people after he was buried, and the Bible names names. Um, Here's where this one's really cool. Um, Think about this. If I were to tell you I was playing basketball with my girls this weekend, 
And, you know, it's Easter weekend, and so I was feeling really inspired. And so we're, we're throwing the ball around, and I'm like, hey, girls, watch this. And I start dribbling, and I hit the free throw line, and I leap through the air like Air Jordan. And I go, and I, bah, dunk the ball. If I told you, yeah, I slam dunked the ball, it was awesome, what would you think? Yeah, yeah, right. Thanks. Um, yeah, so some of you would think I'm a liar. Uh, and others of you might think, like, you mean you had the hoop low enough for your four-year-old to dunk on it? Some of you are like, not even then. We saw you pretend to dribble just now. No. Um, okay, so, so, okay, fair enough. But what if I told you there are witnesses? And I started producing a list of names with cell phone numbers. And I said, hey, why don't you, I get that you're skeptical, look at me. But go ask these people. They'll tell you that they saw it happen. Now, naturally, I think you'd still be skeptical. I mean, look at me. But uh, let's say that just to shut me up, you decided to go ask these guys and gals. And you, you went through the list and you said, man, Chet said that he, from the free throw line, hopped through the air and slam dunked like at an NBA regulation height. Like, just tell me that didn't happen so I can go to another church. <laughs> and one by one, people started saying, I, I don't know what to tell you. He did it. I don't know how he did it, but I saw him do it. And one by one by one, you hear, I get that it seems impossible, but I saw it with my own two eyes. Eventually, at some point, you would have to conclude that white boy can hop. <laughs> now, I can't, but the point is that's what Mark's doing here. I don't know if you noticed this while we were reading, but he's naming all of these names. He talks about Mary, the mother of uh, James, no, not that James, the, the younger one, the brother of Joseph. Like, I, I know at times, like, this can feel like reading the Hebrew phone book, and it's not the most exciting part of the text. But you have to appreciate what Mark's doing. Mark's naming names, giving identifiers and markers so that you can go to Mary's house and say, Mary, Mary what, what did you see? So you could go to Joseph of Arimathea's office, and, and if you can get an appointment with him, you could ask, hey, hey, what, what, did you see? Tell me about these things. He's naming names so that you would go and talk to the eyewitness and realize, though it seems inconceivable to me, people saw it. And, and look, I, that's really, really hard to argue with. You kind of look like a jerk if 500 people say they saw something and you say, I refuse to believe it. So here, here's what people have done to try to dismiss this. They'll say, oh no, I believe that you saw, think you saw that, but you were hallucinating. By the way, if you ever believe, start a sentence with, I believe that you believe, just stop. There's some free marriage counseling on Easter Sunday for anybody in here. Don't ever say, I believe that you believe, just it's better to say silent. But people say, I, I believe that you believe that, but clearly you're just hallucinating. It's traumatic to lose your friend, your savior, your king, whatever you believed him to be. And so maybe you just saw what you needed to see for your brain to process that trauma, but maybe... But in 1 Corinthians 15, we read that Jesus appeared to more than 500 people at one time. And in 1 Corinthians 15, again, the Bible names names and says to go ask them. So unless you're going to argue that 500 people can simultaneously have the same hallucination at the same time, and that a guy can pass out without a heart and then wake up again, and it's totally natural and totally fine, the evidence is in strong favor for the fact that Jesus is alive. Now, for some of you, this is all a bit technical. You're like, I don't do the courtroom thing. I'm more experiential. Well, let's talk experience. Number four, 
the disciples go from cowards to courageous martyrs. Um, I'll keep this one brief because did you notice that the 11 disciples aren't even mentioned in the text here? Um, That's actually kind of a point. Um, If all you had was Mark's gospel, I think you would have to conclude that these guys are cowards. Chapter one, Jesus comes into their life and says, hey, follow me and I'll make you a new kind of person. I'm gonna invite you into a new kind of life. And for three years, these guys went everywhere with Jesus. They saw everything Jesus could do. They saw Jesus tell a hurricane to shut up and sit down, and it listened. They saw Jesus heal sick people and uh, do inconceivable things. I can't re-preach the whole series here, but they saw some stuff. And, And at the end of that, on the night Jesus is betrayed, all of these guys abandon him, run away and pretend that they don't know him. Peter even denies him multiple times and starts swearing at the people that say, hey, you look like a disciple of Jesus. And some people, you might say like, man, they just had a bad day. Okay, we're three days later past Good Friday now. We're on Sunday now. And these guys are still nowhere to be seen. Because unlike these women who had the courage to go to the tomb and to honor Jesus, the one that they loved, these guys are still cowering and hiding in fear. That's why they're not even in the text. And, and, and before you would giggle or judge them, I should just say these guys will go on to turn the ancient world upside down to where Rome is dead and gone. And I have to quote historians to you to understand it, but the church of Jesus Christ is still growing and still alive today. So I wouldn't be too harsh on these guys, but what I would say is if all you had was the gospel of Mark, you would think they're cowards. But if you know how the story ends, you know that they will be courageous for their faith that when the very same people who killed Jesus come to them and say, you better shut up about Jesus. Peter, deny Jesus. You've done it once. We know you could do it again. They go from cowards to courageous martyrs, and they all die brutal, awful deaths at the hands of the same people who killed Jesus because they wouldn't shut up about the fact Jesus is alive. Now, all I want to ask is, how do you explain that change? If you spend any time with people doing counseling, you know people don't have extreme changes like that unless something happens. How do you explain these guys going from cowards to courageous martyrs? Well, if after seeing your friend and teacher be brutally tortured and murdered, you saw him alive again, looking better than ever, And he proclaimed to you, hey, I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore, and I hold the keys to death and Hades, and so don't fear. And he puts his arm on you, and he says, don't fear. I've got you. Death, it's old news. It's defeated, and new life is on the march. That would put some steel in your veins, amen? The disciples go from cowards to courageous martyrs, and I tell you this all the time, but the same Jesus that changed those guys can change your life today. This is what a living and resurrected Savior can do. But Mark isn't even interested in these guys. Like I said, all he does is mention they're not even there, not their finest hour. Let's get to number five, because number five, Mark wants to tell us about these three women. So number five, Jesus's empty tomb was found by women. Now, here's why I love this one, and I think you should too. The first century was not a good time to be a woman. 
Um, I don't love that, by the way, just to be clear. Um, I love how Jesus challenged that. Um, In this culture, they viewed women as unintelligent and unreliable. Um, I know we live in a different day. It's hard to even imagine that type of sexism. Let me me just read to you from one of the most famous Jewish historians from this time period. Just listen to this. Now, let me be clear. This is a quote from Josephus, not Chad Francis. Are we cool? You'll see why. He writes, But let not a single witness be credited, but three or two at the least. He's saying in cases where you're trying to discern the truth, look for two or three witnesses because, you know, one person could be lying. We we still kind of have that value today. So he says, you know, look for three or two at least, and those such whose testimony is confirmed by their good lives. But let not the testimony of a woman be admitted on account of the levity and the boldness of their sex. Josephus, everybody one of the greatest historians from the ancient world. Stick with me here. If the resurrection of Jesus were a made-up story, do you really think that people living in that kind of culture would bank the entire story on the word of three women? No, but Mark has three women finding Jesus' empty tomb because he wasn't making it up. This is what really happened. And by giving these three women the honor of being the first to proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive, Jesus not only gives these women the dignity that they are deserving, but he offers us one of the best proofs possible that no human possibly could have written this story because no human in the first century would have ever thought to do that. This is the kind of story that only God can write because Jesus is awesome and Jesus is alive. And and on and on I could go with reasons that you can believe this, but but we've got a party to get to. And and so I want to go for some of the reasons to, uh, so what? I I guess that's the question that I wanted to point the whole day toward is, so What? Like, maybe you're intellectually convinced that, yeah, Jesus walked out of the tomb 2,000 years ago, but what does that mean for your life in 2022? With your hopes and your dreams and your fears and your pain. And and look, that could be its own five-point message of what this means for you. I'd encourage that conversation on the car ride home and on the dinner table. Uh, I'm going to give you just the most basic one. I'm a pretty basic guy. I'm just going to give you the most basic so what. If Jesus is alive, then that means death is defeated. Jesus is alive, then death is defeated. Um, I don't know what comes into your mind when you hear that word death. Um, Some of you probably think of physical death. Um, And that's certainly a part of it. Um, Like, I know my girls... um, we are celebrating today that we will see Papa again. Um, and I, I love seeing the way that that truth makes their little eyes light up at dinner last night. Um, so physical death is certainly a part of it. 
that death can't hold us anymore if we're in the arms of Jesus because Jesus is greater than death. But I would also be quick to point out that when the Bible talks about life and death, they are far more holistic concepts than if you are physically breathing and walking the earth or not. And, and I think we all intuitively know this. Um, I think we've all had those moments in life where it feels like, wow, this right here, this is really living. Have you ever had that moment where, where you're living, whether it's a relationship, an event, a vacation, just something you experience, and you go, this is really living, and everything else was mere existing. Anyone been there? Yeah. Uh, and you might call that flourishing. You might call that thriving. You might call that vacation. Um, <laughs> the Bible's word for that is eternal life. So when the Bible talks about eternal life, it's not just talking about a quantity of time, though again, hear me, that's certainly part of it. But it's also talking about a quality of life, a higher plane of existence. And so, so, so that's life. When, the, when Jesus says, I've come that they might have life, he's talking about the whole package, eternal life and flourishing life here and now. And so the, the flip side of that holistic understanding of life well, then the flip side would be that death is the loss of flourishing. And so that means you can have death in your relationships if a relationship's not going well. Some of you are like, been there. Um, you can have death in your relationships if there's the lack of any meaningful relationship and it feels like your soul's starting to shrivel a little bit. Some of you introverts are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, um, you can also have death in your thought life where you find yourself being harsh and hypercritical with yourself and with others, and it feels like the oxygen is being sucked out of the room that is your brain, um, you can have death in your actions where you find yourself in this pattern of behavior and you go, I don't know why I keep doing this. And, and you can have pattern at structural levels in the world where it feels like society itself is built to choke the life out of us. And, and physical death, what that is, is just the culmination of this whole process. It's the final step where there's the final loss of physical life itself. But, but I think if you've lived long enough, most of us know you can die a thousand times over before you physically die. Death is the central problem of this world. And it's one that we can't fix, no matter how much kale we eat, no matter how much we exercise, no matter how many self-help books we read, no matter how many times we promise to do better or how many people we elect that say they can fix it, we cannot fix the death problem in our world. We're all plagued by it. And this is the good news of Easter. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that you and I, whoever would believe in him, wouldn't perish, but would have everlasting life. And the way he did this, it's, it's amazing. It's, we've spent months talking about this, but you can never talk enough about it. The way that God brings life into our broken world is by entering it himself and by experiencing death himself. And the author of life, 
I mean, this is crazy to think about this. The one who made trees and humans and is the source of life itself, he himself allows himself to be nailed to a tree and to suffer and to die in our place for our sins, which is the root cause of all of the death in this world. And in that moment, it looked like death had won. That life had come into the world and death swallowed it whole. And death is going to continue its reign of terror in this world. And I think that's why the disciples are hiding on this day. But. It's like the best word in the Bible. One T. But. What we are celebrating on this day is that Jesus is stronger than death. That somewhere in that tomb, death, as it had its grip on him, it lost its grip on him. And he punched a hole out the other side of death. And he walked out of the tomb three days later proclaiming, death is defeated, new life is on the march, and anyone who trusts in me and wants to follow me, you can get in on this. That is the gospel that we gather every week. It's not just Easter. This is just the day we dress up to celebrate the gospel. And if that's true, then it changes everything. If that's true that Jesus is stronger than death, that the love of God is stronger than death and can bring us life even when we're plagued by it, that means that the struggle that you are currently experiencing in your life that you feel bound by, that means that struggle doesn't have to own you anymore because there's someone stronger than that struggle in this room. That means that the world does not need to be the way it is. So you don't just have to complain about it being broken. Like we know the one that can fix it and we can be agents of renewal and reconciliation that bring that new life to this broken world here and now, even as we wait for him to return and finally make all things new. If Jesus is alive, yeah, it's okay to clap in church. Sorry, I'm excited. I like keep going over it. I keep talking over you. Look, I I don't know your story, but I do know this. Jesus is stronger than the death you are experiencing in your life. Jesus is stronger than the death that you are experiencing in your life. And that's not some optimistic idea that's meant to encourage you one time a year. It's an invitation to know and to love and to follow a living and resurrected Savior into the fullness of life, experiencing more and more of his death-defying power in your life every day. And so the question is, so so what are you going to do about it then? If that's what Easter is about, if it's an invitation to know a living and resurrected Savior that can bring life wherever you're feeling death right now, if that's true, that requires a response. You know, a lot's been made of how abrupt Mark ends his gospel. Um, I don't know if you noticed this, but we don't even see these women meet Jesus on the other side of the tomb or go on to proclaim the good news like the other three gospels tell us happened. Mark ends his gospel before all of that, where their heads are just spinning, like, wait, the tomb's empty? I see it with my own eyes, but I do not understand. And Mark leaves it at that kind of disorienting moment. So he would say, I know you're really curious about the women. You're going to have three other gospel accounts to learn about them. 
I want to ask you about you. What are you going to do about it? He wants us to enter into that head-spinning moment to go, okay, Jesus is alive. I don't even know what to do with that. That's what the abrupt ending is designed to do here. And so that's what I want to leave you with today. What are you going to do about it? And I, I think that could be another five-point message. We could have done 15 points this morning. Some of you are like, no, thank you. Here, here's what I would say. Um, following Jesus happens one step at a time, one step after the next, after the next. And so as we turn to respond to this, I would just encourage you to think about this. What is my one next step? What is like the one little thing, or maybe it's not a little, but what is that one next step that God is calling me to do that I'm feeling stirred to do in light of that reality? Um, Some of you, you weren't Christians when you walked in the door this morning, but something's happening in you right now. And maybe today is the day that you turn to Jesus and say, hey, if you are real, I want to know you. I want you to lead me out of death and into life. Would you forgive my sin and send your spirit to live in me and walk with me and lead me into the fullness of life? Like, if that's available, sign me up for that. If you want to do that today, we would invite you to get baptized. That's what the tank's about. This is not a design statement here. Um, And look, I know some of you are like, but I'm not dressed for it. I'm wearing my Easter best. Um, We have t-shirts and towels for you because God told us you were coming. Um, and, and look, this is, this is how the first Christians expressed their faith in Jesus. They didn't just sit in their pew and think something in their mind and, and, and pray it in their heart. That, that's where it begins. You can start talking to Jesus right now. Don't hear me saying don't talk to Jesus right now. But they didn't just talk to Jesus in their heart. They got up, they got in the water, and they got wet as a powerful symbol of giving up their old life and taking the first step into a new life with Jesus. And so, I don't know, maybe you need to do that today. Um, Others of you, maybe you've believed in Jesus for a long time, but you've just experienced so much hurt in recent years that that you're starting to question everything. And and Fessy, you, I'm... I'm so glad you're here today. I, I want you to know that we've really, in a lot of ways, built this place for you. It's a safe place to ask your questions, to explore those things without judgment. Uh, we're starting a sermon series next week where we are tackling the biggest questions of life and faith that members of this community sent in. And so maybe for you, if you've got questions, but you're like, I, I love Jesus, but I got questions, maybe for you the next step is to come back next week to enter in, to press in and see what he has for you here. Maybe the next step for you is just to turn to him this morning and say, hey, Jesus, I've got some real questions, but I believe you're alive. And so we could start with that. Maybe today's the day you draw near to him again and say, I've still got my questions, but I do want to know your life-giving power. I think you might be surprised at how he would answer that kind of honest prayer. And look, finally, I I know there's some of you who walk in here and you are just passionately in love with Jesus and you are ready to sing and you are ready to party. And so the question for you is, who are you going to tell about all of this? Because what we see in this story is the good news of Easter, it's not meant to terminate with you and with me. We are meant to go and tell the world, just like the angel said. 
And I think a lot of times for Christians, it's so easy to get jammed up in our lives when we're navel-gazing and focused on us instead of joining Jesus on his mission in the world and proclaiming the good news of a living Savior who can change your life because he's changing mine. And so if you want to know more of him this morning, I would maybe ask you to consider who is maybe one person, God, that you're telling me like these women to go and share this good news with. Man, if Jesus is alive, the possibilities are endless. So what's one next step you want to take toward him to experience that reality today? Let me pray for you as we consider these things. Jesus, you are a great Savior. Thank you for being stronger than death. Um, Thank you for loving us enough to enter into death for us. It's one thing that you're strong. It's another thing that you love us so much that you would do this. Jesus, I pray this morning that you would prove yourself a living Savior by sending your Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of us, that you would help each and every one of us answer the so what that you would meet us in this place and that we would walk out of here to the eggs and the celebration and the fun, knowing the best part of my day has already happened, that God met me in this place. Would you meet us where we're at? Would you reveal yourself to us as you did to these women on that first Easter morning, that we might experience more of your life in this place? In your beautiful name I ask, amen.